the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. You can hear the program each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. It's 4.02 on AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. You're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show. Welcome aboard. Thanks for tuning in. Forecast calling for sunshine the next few hours, gradually fading out to a clear skies and a low of 22 tonight. Sunny and breezy tomorrow, but a high of just 33. Sixers lost to Washington last night. The Flyers are home against Dallas this evening. And, of course, we're looking forward to, uh, if you're an Eagles fan, that is, you're looking forward to the Eagles and the Saints game this coming Sunday afternoon at 440. We're going to bring in Les Bowen, who is a longtime Philadelphia sports writer, in just a minute or two. Also, later in the hour, A.R. Bernard, whose program just aired, I guess, from 3 to 3.30, and is every weekday from 3 to 3.30. He'll be joining us, too, uh, around uh, 4.30, about halfway through the program. Um, And one other quick note before we get into any of that, just a quick reminder that WFIL has teamed up with Preborn this month uh, for helping provide free ultrasounds for pregnant women and girls. You can find out more about that right on our homepage at WFIL.com. You can click the Preborn banner and go from there, or you can call 833-850-BABY. I actually, full disclosure, did not... I figured it out from just knowing when we started talking with Preborn that 833 was a toll-free number. I, you know, 800-877-888 over the years. But 833 is toll-free. It came in about, I think, a couple of years ago. Just, I've never dialed it before. And if you have not, don't worry. It's toll-free. Uh, 833-850-BABY is the number. If you'd like to pick up the cost of one of those life-saving ultrasounds, it's $28 to do so. Some folks may want to do two or three or five. But uh, the main idea is that when a pregnant woman or girl gets a chance to see her baby with an ultrasound, the statistics show that they're 80% more likely to keep their baby. And uh, I think it's beautiful also just because it's just kind of like leaving them alone. They get to see and, and understand on their own. It doesn't have to come through a lot of conversation or persuasion necessarily. Uh, it's obviously a, a difficult subject in a lot of cases, but uh, as much as possible, you want to kind of put the evidence out there. There's a baby in there, and and uh, let's keep that baby and let's support you too. I think there are other issues. There are other ways you can go beyond even this ultrasound, but that is a very important piece uh, and wanting to be a blessing to help uh, these ladies uh, see what's going on there. So it's called Preborn. It's a mission on our website, WFIL.com, and you can look into it there or, again, call 833-850-BABY. Coming up again this weekend, we mentioned uh, the Eagles game Sunday afternoon at 440. Looking forward to that a lot. There are four games this weekend. Eight teams are left, and we are glad at this point to bring in, as I mentioned, longtime Philadelphia sports writer, Daily News, com. Les Bowen. Thanks for calling in, man. How are you? Howdy, Tim. Thanks for uh, coming on today. You've uh, been covering the Eagles since 2002. Seen a lot of good football, including the Andy Reid and McNabb and Dawkins years, the NFC Championship game, Super Bowl appearance couple of off years, but uh, with the current team, of course, the, the Super Bowl champs. So uh, how many how many columns, before you start, how many columns do you think you've written since you began covering the Eagles, just for perspective? Oh, I don't even want to think about that. <laughs> Thousands, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, I did a thing with Hugh Douglas last week about 
the uh, when the Eagles were going to play the Bears, the the previous uh, Eagles Bears playoff game, which was the first Eagles game I covered. I don't often sit down and think about things like that, but it was kind of bracing. I think Hugh is like fifty some years old now, and I'm yes. over sixty, and uh, you know. A lot of time went by in the interim, I guess. Yeah, well, I think people, it's good. So, as people are listening in, they realize, you know, you got a lot of history and a KG veteran, if you will, you know, knowing what you're talking about. (laughs) So, and and just for context, people, you write several columns a week, three, four, five, depends on the week and how busy things are. Yeah, uh, right now in the playoffs, I'm writing pretty much every day, but uh, I have like a little schedule. uh, I have a feature called No Huddle, written Thursday. Okay. It's in the Friday papers and on the website by Thursday evening. And then I have uh, game coverage. I do a game review on Mondays. And I do something off the coordinators on Tuesdays. So, yeah, something just about every day. Often I'm not in the papers or on the website Wednesday or Thursday, but this week I am. Yeah. Well, with good reason. Big game. And, uh, you know, it's an interesting thing. It lasts there's a lot's been made, of course, since the last time the Eagles and Saints played in the, in the lopsided win for the Saints, 48-7. to uh, But I found one of the columns you wrote, I guess it was a few days ago, very interesting, maybe just, uh, I think it was on Tuesday, uh, where it says, Jim Schwartz knows the Eagles can't change the past, but they don't have to repeat the same mistakes. Why I thought it was interesting is because you actually start off the column with this positive spin that there really was a point in the game where the Eagles were still in it, you know, in the second quarter. Maybe set that up, let people know where you were, where you were taking that. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. I think my point was, at his point was, that these blowouts, it's unlike college football where blowouts often happen because one team is, like, way more talented than the other. Yeah. Usually blowouts happen in the NFL because something happens and one team gets really behind and starts pressing and taking gambles and – yeah. The snowball really gets going. Uh, you can see that with the Eagles, you know, really destroyed the Vikings last year right. uh, in the playoffs and then played the Vikings early this season and lost. So, you know, I mean, it's they were never that much better than the Vikings. And it's the same thing with the Eagles and the Saints. The score was 17-7. The Eagles had just scored on uh, Josh Adams' touchdown run. Right. Their defense held three and out. They got the ball back, started moving, got two or three first downs, were in Saints territory, and it was getting near the end of the first half. And you figured, okay, they run this drive out, they score a touchdown, or they even kick a field goal. They're solidly in the game after being down 17 nothing. Right. Well, what happened was uh, they had a mix-up on the offensive line about the coverages, and Jason Kelsey was out for a series. Stefan Wisniewski was playing center, and he messed up a blocking assignment, and Wentz was uh, sacked. The Eagles punted. The Saints scored. And, uh, you know, and the Saints didn't score on, like, five straight possessions. Right. So, but, yeah, it, it, things have gone differently on that one sequence. Maybe it still would have been a route. Maybe it would not have been. You know, a lot of decisions that were made subsequently by both coaches probably hinged on that five or six minutes of time there toward the end of the second quarter. Yeah, absolutely. Les Bowen is our guest. We're going to take a short break. We'll come back and continue on and look ahead to what's going on and see what Les thinks about the Eagles-Saints game and even chat a little bit about this past uh, Sunday when the Eagles got into this position because of Cody Parkey's missed kick that bounced off those crossbars and everything uh, uh, because he was one of the first folks to report it. We'll 
ask about that and see where he got his scoop from. Interesting stuff, because when you're watching the game, they weren't talking about it during the game. They only read it later that night or the next day. Back in just a second is the Tim DeMoss Show, AM560, WFIL, WFIL.com. And again, also A.R. Bernard going to be joining us around 4.30 today. Hang on. You're listening to a podcast of the Tim DeMoss Show. Heard weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM560, WFIL, and at WFIL.com. AM560, WFIL, WFIL.com. It's Tim Moss and the Tim Moss Show. Thanks for listening in. Um, we are continuing our conversation with Les Bowen from the Philadelphia Daily News, uh, Inquirer, Philly.com. Been in this market 30-plus years writing and uh, thousands of stories, and including one about the uh, the game this past Sunday. Before we get into this game coming up with the Saints, I found it interesting. I'm watching the game with my family, and you're watching to see is the Cody Parkey of the Chicago Bears, when he kicks that ball, is it going to go through and end the season for the Eagles, or is it somehow going to miss or something else going to happen? And it turns out his kick uh, clanks off one goalpost on the left, and then it bounces and hits the crossbar on the bottom, and then it uh, hits into the end zone um, on the on the near side. And it doesn't go through. And I think it's the sixth or seventh time that happened this year. Just crazy. And uh, But the announcers are not talking about it. Nobody's really talking about it, I don't think. And and I uh, I happened to read about that for the first time. that Because uh, what, what actually came out was one of the Eagles players had tipped the ball a little bit. But perhaps enough to deflect the ball. And that's why it was missed, not just because it was mishit. Yeah, everybody didn't know that. I wasn't the only one who knew, but only a few people knew about that after the game initially. It kind of came up in conversation in the locker room. Nobody saw it on TV. You know, right. I don't think the announcers mentioned it. No. It was I'm... one of those things where you, you really have to like slow it down frame by frame to see that Trayvon Hester got his fingers on it. And Trayvon Hester isn't a guy that everybody normally talks to after the game. So right. actually I happened to, uh, to just to be talking to Dave Fifth, the special teams coach. And he mentioned this to me hmm. and I quickly found Trayvon and Trayvon was happy to talk about it. I think Bo Wolf from the athletic also talked to him, but most people really had no idea, you know, that this had happened, even some players on the field because it wasn't apparent, you know, didn't know this had happened. So yeah, it was, you know, it was very interesting. And I felt bad for Cody Parkey, former Eagle, decent guy, uh, it was the sixth time this season he has missed a kick by hitting an upright, right. which ought to be impossible. You know, if you try <laughs> to you do try that, to do it right, yeah, it's hard to hit an upright that many times. And sometimes when you hit an upright, the ball just goes through. You know, it yes. doesn't have to go backwards. Yes, and uh, so this was just. Uh, there's a lot of luck involved in this, basically. Well, I thought also, as, as I read your article, I was thinking um, back to the game because Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth are not talking about it. And uh, I think part of it was mm-hmm. the focus was how unbelievable it was that it was the sixth time it happened right. and that they had lost. Right. So all of the attention's on that. And then, uh, you know, feeling bad for Parkey. Uh, do you think at least, I mean, it changes the storyline for him a bit. It doesn't change the end result of the game. I hope so. But hopefully it's, you know, yeah. takes some of the burden off a little bit at least. Maybe a little bit. I think from a kicking standpoint, most kickers would tell you that he, since Trayvon Hester wasn't like through the line or jumping five feet in the air, that maybe Parkey kicked it a little low. But nonetheless, it sure. really does add a yet another twist to the whole story. Do you, do, you, uh, do you think that the 
getting back for this Sunday's game then with the Eagles and Saints. Um, of course, the last game that forty-eight to seven score. I've found it interesting talking with athletes over the years. Uh, at what point do you consider sportsmanship an, an issue? Whether it's in baseball, you're ahead by six runs, but it's the seventh inning. Like, at what point do you maybe think a little differently? And um, you know, Peyton, do you feel like a he he clearly ran the thing up in the first place, or do you think a little bit of him he was like, you know, some, what do you want me to do? Sit sit on the ball and make it obvious that I'm yeah, you know. And do you think do you think it's going to backfire at all? Is also the other part of that question. That's real interesting. I don't know for sure. You get different answers. You talk to different people. Okay. It is professional sports. You're getting paid. You know, you shouldn't be looking for charity from the other team. Right. In this case, the Eagles were playing like their seventh and eighth defensive backs, you know, and it was at the time that the kind of controversial part happened. It was 38 to seven uh, saints in the fourth quarter. Right. And he still got Drew Brees in there and he's throwing long touchdown passes to <laughs> Alvin Kamara. Right. Uh, who was maybe coincidentally or not the guy that was all over social media after the Super Bowl claiming that the Saints would have beaten the Eagles if they'd gotten to play them. You know, they lost to the Vikings on that miracle play yeah. the week before, and then the Vikings played the Eagles and got blown out. Of course, we'll never know what would have happened if the, the Saints would have had to come to Philadelphia. I don't think they're that kind of team Sure, outside of their dome, but... You know, we'll never know. But, uh, yeah, that whole thing was uh, – it was – you know, I didn't like it very much. I, I don't think there's any need for that. And I think you could have taken Drew Brees out played uh, Teddy Bridgewater for a while. In fact, I was thinking as the – they didn't really do that until, like, the last series or the last two series or something. And I was thinking, boy, you know, as old as Drew Brees is, it would sure be a shame if somebody got through and sacked him and he got hurt <laughs> and you were – because you left him into a game you're leading by 40 points. Right. Uh, yeah, but uh, you know, I mean, it's—I it, don't think you can whine about it uh, if you're the Eagles. But there's certainly people will remember that and remember what he did. I mean, Peyton did that on purpose, and there wasn't any doubt about it. He wanted to show how good they, his team was uh, to a big TV audience, and he wanted to uh, maybe make a point about last year. I don't know if that has any sure. resonance. You know, nobody's ever going to remember. Well, the year after the Super Bowl, the Saints beat the Eagles really bad. You know, I don't know. But, yeah, uh, right. Les Bowen, our guest uh, from Philly.com, Inquire Daily News. And, uh, you know, as you're talking there, there's an example. Um, I heard a story about Greg Maddox once of the Braves. Uh, at the time, I think he was. He had a shutout going, and he kept brushing off or flat, you know, uh, waving off the catcher's signs. And then they gave the hitter something that the guy hit over the fence, and it broke up a shutout, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, after the game, catch like, what are you doing? And he said, well, we're going to face them in the playoffs possibly, not even for sure, but maybe. I want to plant seeds in his mind from now about how I do things so that when we meet him when it matters, they're not going to know what I'm talking about and what I'm right. doing. And then, you know, so he would rather that's give up the smart. shutout, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a right. cerebral guy. So, right. Yeah, there was no real need to beat the Eagles by 41 points that day. You know, beating them by 25 or 30 would have been just fine. Right, would have still proved you the know, same right. point. <laughs> So but we'll see if that's you know we'll see if they're that superior talent wise maybe they are. Well, Drew Brees is certainly incredibly formidable. Yeah, and they have good defense and they're in their dome again, which is a, an incredibly tough place to play. But uh, I don't know if they're that much better than the Eagles. The Eagles are a lot healthier team than they were uh, in November. Sure. Any thoughts then? It's not necessarily, not necessarily a prediction, but any any feeling of close game at least within a touchdown maybe or. Yeah, I kind of think so. I think the point spread is like eight or nine points, uh, which is a lot in the playoffs. 
Right. Uh, it's because of that dome and because the Saints were the number one seed and the Eagles are the sixth seed. I'll be really surprised if it's more than a touchdown, uh, or much more than a touchdown. I don't. I can't really pick the Eagles to win because I think the Saints are probably the best team in the league. But it's amazing what they've been able to do since going to four and six. But I'm a little skeptical that they can keep it going. They were very, very. As we talked about the Cody Parkey kick, they were very, very fortunate to get out of that game. Yeah. You know, and uh, if they come out and play wonderfully Sunday and win, uh, boy, uh, you know. Sky's the limit then, but uh, I'm yes. going to say uh, a closer Saints win than perhaps what's been predicted, maybe something like 26-21, something like that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, if I'm wrong, then I guess I'm going to Los Angeles or Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as we wrap up, maybe uh, a lot's been said about Nick Foles, primarily good, including the sense of calm he brings mm-hmm. to the huddle. Uh, what have you noticed about him in the times you've been around him or, or talk with him? Yeah, he's an interesting person, and I've written something about this a few weeks ago. He doesn't really fit the mold uh, that I think some teams look for uh, in a quarterback. They're looking for like a face of the franchise, a sort of alpha male type, uh, you know, vocal leader, a guy that kind of sets the tone for everybody else and yeah. You know, like Tom Brady, you, you see him on the sideline upgrading his receivers and so forth. You're never going to see Nick do that. Nick is Nick is a very quiet guy who wants to be a piece of the puzzle. He does not want to be the the main attraction. And I think that's one reason he has flourished in these roles uh, in the late season. Uh, it's a weird situation. I mean, he's not the Eagles franchise quarterback. And I, I kind of wonder, I hope the very best for him. I, I like him a great deal. Yeah, but I kind of wonder he's probably going to leave after the season and be back in that situation again that he was in once, where somebody's going to grab him to be the savior, you know. Yeah. And I, that didn't go well when he went to St. Louis, and it wasn't his fault, maybe because the coach was Jeff Fisher and the team wasn't any good. But right, right. That could be the situation again. You know, he's going to have to be real careful here. Uh, I think he's a he's a great. He's an amazing quarterback in many respects. He's a guy you really have to protect because he's not nimble back there. Right. And he will throw the ball uh, to the other team if he's getting a lot of pressure. Uh, and I, I, I think you want to have weapons. You know, I don't think he's a guy that creates a lot on his own. I think you have to have people like Alshon Jeffrey who could out, outleap a defender and, and bring down a ball. Um, so he's going to have to really, you know, be very judicious about where he ends up next uh, to keep this going. But I do like Nick a great deal, and he's a unique person. People use that word unique quite a bit, but in this case, it's really, uh, you know, I've never covered an athlete who would be Super Bowl MVP and then be very comfortable going back to being the backup quarterback the next year. Yeah. And, you know, five weeks ago, he had no idea he was going to be playing now. You know, he spent – I actually did a piece uh, about, hey, remember Nick Foles? He's still here. You know, he hasn't played since week two. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, that, it's, an, it's an amazing thing. that There's never been anything like it in the history of the Eagles, and I'm not sure there's been anything like it in the history of sports. Yeah, That's, it really is a great point, a great point. Les Bowen been our guest. And the best, what's the best way for people to read your, the, the stuff that you read? Is it, is, is it all online, or should they go different places depending on – it yeah. is all online at philly.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Les Bowen. Okay. Uh, and, uh, you know, one of those two ways, you'll, you'll be able to figure out uh, what I've said. That sounds good. 
Well, you got all those columns under your belt and more to come. Hopefully, for the Eagles, at least more than a couple more in the near term. As that, if you, if it, like you said, if it gets to the final four, so to speak, it really starts to become like you know what? Maybe it actually could happen again. Right now, I think a oh, lot of people could, are. If they can beat this team yeah. this weekend, like I said, I think this is the best team in the NFL. If they yeah. beat these guys. I'm not picking them to lose again. I can tell you that. Yes. Great. Well, thanks for taking time during your busy writing schedule, and we'll catch up with you again down the road. All right, Tim. Thank you very much. Thank you, Les. Have a great day. You too. All right, bye-bye. That's Les Bowen from the Philadelphia Daily News, inquirephilly.com, giving us his take on uh, all things football, especially related to the Eagles and the playoffs. We're going to take a short break, and in five or ten minutes, just depending when we connect here, we're going to have A.R. Bernard joining us. A.R. Bernard's program is on every weekday from uh, 3 till uh, 3.30 on WFIL. And he's also a pastor uh, of the church up in Brooklyn of Christian Cultural Center there. So we're looking forward to hearing some uh, good words from him. And also, he's going to be in the area in April. So we'll talk about that in just a moment. Back in just a second, AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. Thanks for tuning in to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast with AM560 WFIL and WFIL.com. It's 429 AM560 WFIL and WFIL.com. You're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoy the program, feel free to share the word with other folks that they're uh, able to, among other things, get the podcast at WFIL.com. There's a tab there with a podcast from a lot of the ministries on WFIL and some of the local programs as well, and uh, this is one of them. So help yourself to that anytime you like. You can listen online or just download it. Uh, and I heard today that we're on iTunes. I wasn't aware of that, which is nice. We'll find out more, I'm sure, in time. Forecast calling for uh, a little sunshine still the rest of the afternoon, then dropping to 22 with clear skies tonight. Sunday tomorrow, breezy, but a high of just 33. Sixers lost to Washington last night. Flyers are home against Dallas this evening, and they have the Eagles uh, getting ready for their playoff game this coming Sunday afternoon at 440, uh, among other games. There are eight teams left, and they're heading toward the uh, Super Bowl, hopefully. We're looking forward to actually, just as a side note, in the next day or so, having David Akers on, who is a longtime kicker for the Eagles and uh, a couple other teams too. I guess it was the 49ers and the Lions. He's a believer. He's going to share a little football and faith with us, as he tends to do when we have him on the show. So we're looking forward to that. Also looking forward to having Pastor A.R. Bernard uh, join us. He's pastor of the Christian Cultural Center in Brooklyn, and um, his program airs on WFIL weekdays from 3 to 3.30. Um, he'll be in town also, Lord willing, in April, Thursday the 26th. There's a pastor's appreciation breakfast that WFIL does each year, and we'll be talking about that more as we get a little closer to it. There'll be info on our website, but um, he'll be giving us a call here shortly, and you know when he does, we'll probably talk to him about that a little bit too. But um, that's the kind of thing where, uh, you know, you're welcome to listen in and, and get an idea. Start put that on your calendar from now, uh, Thursday, the 26th of April, for that pastor's appreciation breakfast. Uh, let's see what else. Oh, you know, the other thing I want to make sure to run by you is, uh, you know, we've been talking about this a little bit. But we want to kind of – it's been, you know, when the holidays happen, you kind of – this is the first full week where, okay, today is Thursday. Or the first couple weeks of the year or end of last year and – First week of this year, every day felt like Thursday or, you know, it just was odd with the holiday being on that on that Tuesday. So now that we're kind of getting to more of a rhythm here, um, want to start to pay a little more sustained attention, if that's the way of putting it, with our partnership with Preborn. Preborn is a ministry that provides ultrasound sessions to pregnant women and girls 
who might otherwise choose to end their pregnancy. Uh, the biggest statistic, or this, it's a simple one, but it's a, it's a very important one, 80% of pregnant women and girls who see their baby with an ultrasound are more likely to keep their baby. It's a simple yet powerful tool, and in a way it's helping in its simplest form. You just kind of step out of the way and let a woman see her child for herself. The cost of a single ultrasound is $28. You can certainly cover as many as you like. Uh, for example, $140 would provide an ultrasound for five women. Uh, another option, which I think is really interesting, it's called the Preborn Baby Sponsor, where for $28 each month, uh, Preborn will send you an ultrasound photo of each uh, woman who has helped and uh, a little story behind that. So that's something you're welcome to do. And if you want to join WFIL and Preborn in that way, uh, that'll actually help as well with our overall goal. When we do these partnerships with different ministries over the course of a year, we view it as a family thing. It's not just uh, the radio station here with the ministry, but it's, uh, but it's uh, us too, you know, and, and the listeners. So we want to involve everyone and, and accomplish something. We don't have to do everything. We want to be together, though, and, uh, and work together toward this. So please give that a consideration. your consideration. You can either call 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY, or go on our website, WFIL.com. You'll see the uh, preborn uh, banner there. We are privileged to bring in now Pastor A.R. Bernard. Hello, sir. How are you, Tim? Good to be with you. You too. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule. It's a privilege to to speak with you today. Thank you. Yeah. We uh, have your program. Enjoy having it on our air here in Philly uh, every weekday afternoon from 3 to 3.30. And yeah. I'm glad to be where I can be as much as possible without having to be there physically. I love the radio. <laughs> yes, it's a fun media. Yeah, uh, and and physically, though speaking, Lord willing, you will be in town a few months from now. April 26 is a Thursday, and that's where we have our annual pastors' appreciation breakfast. So that's that should be a, a great time to have an opportunity to hear you share your heart. And uh, but today is a precursor to that. So um, I wanted to ask. I I, I tend to be chronological. I can jump around, okay. but, but I like I like to hear where it began because some folks have a, their their testimony where it comes from where you know they were they grew up in a Christian home and they just kind of grew into it, and other people it was later in life. And for you, it's kind of not not late in life, but not right at the beginning either, right? Uh, yeah, far from growing up in a Christian home, uh, we actually I grew up Catholic. Okay, and uh, my relationship with Protestantism was through the uh, CYO basketball that I played. Um, which was through a Methodist church, hmm. and uh, that's why I joined. So the church was just a tool for me to uh, gain access to uh, to play ball in the, in the city of New York. Um, so it was in the '60s, and at that time there was a lot of I would say the decade of revolution: spiritual, moral, social, political revolution, civil rights revolution. And I grew up in the inner city of Brooklyn, New York. And, of course, you know, things were happening across the country, and uh, especially in our city. So it was a time for social change, and um, I became part of that social change. I grew up without a father, a single-parent mom, who did the best that she could to raise me, and I was also part of a program to desegregate uh, schools in uh, white communities. So I was bused from Brooklyn out to Queens as part of that program, and that heightened my social consciousness and um, really put me to a, 
to get involved with social activism. And eventually, I was drawn because of strength and order and identity to a very radical group called the Nation of Islam. And uh, that's the black Muslim movement in, in America, and it was here in New York City. I was there for five years, from 1970 to 75. At the same time, finished school, went into banking, uh, but was searching, searching for God, truth, and reality, somehow knowing that if I found one, the other would be there. And oddly enough, I didn't find that in the black Muslim movement. And along the way, uh, in those years, God sent some very powerful signs to me to draw me to, uh, to Jesus Christ. So by 1975, January 11th, I was invited to a meeting where a guy named Nicky Cruz was sharing his story really? of his conversion to Christianity. And uh, that night, Nicky shared his story, and um, that was my epiphany. That moment was so incredible. And I will tell you two things uh, I heard. Number one, I'm the God you're looking for. I knew intuitively it was Jesus. And secondly, I and my word are one, which was important because the only images of Jesus I had were predominantly white images or, you know, movies that I had seen. But that statement took me to the Scripture, and the word and Christ became synonymous for me. And that's when I began a whole new journey of transformation. Well, Pastor A.R. Uh, Bernard is with us, pastor of the Christian Cultural Center in Brooklyn. Happy spiritual birthday, by the way, a day early. It's tomorrow, right? <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. And it's funny, I have my son who is now in ministry with me. He was born on that day. Really? His birthday wow. Is tomorrow, yeah, yeah. That's very special. God gives us kisses like that every now and again with some special thing, Yes, he? he does. I like that, a kiss, a God <laughs> kiss. That's good. <laughs> well, and as the Lord got a hold of you, uh, Nikki Cruz, uh, he, the one from Crossing the Switchblade, right? Is that the That's person? That's right. They made the movie. Pat, Pat Boone played uh, David Wilkerson. Yeah. And uh, they made the movie about Nikki. In fact, I was just with Nikki uh, in first Sunday in December celebrating his 80th birthday. Wow. And uh, it was just a wonderful occasion where sons like me that he had ministered to and who had gone on to do some great things in ministry came, and we honored him. I remember reading the comic book when I was a kid. Yeah. And, of course, you know, they made the movie and had uh, the book, The Cross and Switchblade, and the second book, Run, Baby, Run. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Now, a few years later, you and your wife, I mean, the Lord kept the progress uh, going, of course, as he does. And you guys started will, a Bible study, right? Yeah, I will tell you, Tim, it's a pathway I don't recommend for anyone. It's the way God <laughs> dealt with me for <laughs> his own reasons. But uh, Salvation in 75, by 76, I was teaching Sunday school. I was always a voracious reader and, and looking to learn, curious. Uh, and I started consuming every book and Bible that I could get hold of. Uh, to learn, to grow, to understand uh, the Church of Jesus Christ, but most importantly, this Jesus that, you know, captured my heart, that, like Paul said, arrested me uh, to understand why I was apprehended by him. And uh, it was interesting because in 1974, leading up to my conversion, I ended up with a secretary who was a little Pentecostal woman, Mm. and she spent that whole year giving me tracks. I don't even know if this generation knows about chick tracks. But uh, yeah. there were these little gospel tracts that, you know, talked about salvation. And I would ask her questions. 
And finally, her pastor told her, look, you know, stop talking to this guy because he's going to confuse you. Hmm. And I will tell you, it wasn't her ability to answer my theological questions, but it was her simple childlike faith, Tim, that troubled me, that really uh, dug at me, you know. And I said, how could she believe in this Jesus so deeply, so profoundly, so movingly? And um, that's what captured me. It's so amazing. it led up to that meeting with Nikki. And now my life is, you know, turned upside down because I realize my purpose is not finance, not banking. It's this, this, this something that I now experience because the night I converted uh, after the meeting, I, I left. I was still in tears, broken. And her and her husband were there, and she came down from the balcony of the place we were in. She said, did you get it? Did you get it? I had no idea what I was supposed to get. <laughs> but I said, something happened. I don't understand it. I've got to figure all of this out. And that's where the journey began. So by 76, I was in a church and actually teaching Sunday school, sharing the scriptures. We started a Bible study at the bank. And by 77, I was uh, assisting a pastor up in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And then in 78, um, I was just led to uh, begin a meeting in a storefront in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And... Uh, January 1st, 78 is where it all started. By 79, I started a small church congregation, Household of Faith, and for the next 11 years, we, we grew to 325 members. Yeah, man, and, and there's much more to come. I want to, there's a couple of directions I want to go with this. Do you have a second? We're going to take a short break, and then we'll kind of get into what the Lord did, because when you look at what the Lord, you know, where you are now, from what you just described, there's no way to really explain it except God's hand on it. And uh, so we'll come back in just a second, if that's okay with you. Sure, absolutely. Very, very good. Pastor A.R. Bernard is the pastor of uh, Christian Cultural Center in Brooklyn, New Jersey, or New York, and uh, also available. You can listen to the program 3 to 3.30 every weekday afternoon here on WFIL. This is the Tim DeMoss Show, back in just a moment on AM 560 WFIL. Live and local. It's the Tim DeMoss Show, weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Our podcast continues. 444 AM 560 WFIL, WFIL.com. Continuing our uh, program here, Tim DeMoss Show, with Pastor A.R. Bernard, pastor of the Christian Cultural Center in Brooklyn. And also, again, you can catch the program that uh, he's on here on WFIL 3 to 3.30 each weekday. Uh, you're starting to tell Pastor Bernard about, you know, the Lord getting a hold of you and, and the church starting. And yet at that time it was in the, the 300s or whatever, and it just kept accelerating. What, did, what, what happened? And there's a lot of ground you could cover, but what did you see God doing over those years? Well, I will tell you, in the first 11 years, which was slow growth, it was a formation of identity, character, and a sense of specific purpose for our ministry. You know, uh, my wife and I felt like we were just, you know, kind of thrown into it. And um, we we tried to embrace and understand God's purpose for us and to share the risen Christ. And that was the mission that we had. So we saw it grow. And it grew, again, slowly, because I was seeing colleagues in ministry, you know, explode into thousands of members. And here I was with just 325 but I understood that God was 
you know, really preparing some roots to go deep because of what he would build, you know, on those foundations. And um, so it was till 1985 that we were 325 members, and uh, we had moved around from place to place because we didn't have a building of our own. So we were from hotel ballrooms to high school auditorium, and then finally ended up in a second-floor loft in the Greenpoint section of Brooklyn, where we kind of settled down and really were able to develop and grow. But it was in 1985 that something you know very special happened. Um, the then mayor of New York City decided to disband the clergy liaison office, which were clergy who were connected to the city government and the church community. But in so doing, he held on to the Muslim liaison and the Jewish liaison. Hmm. And I challenged him. I said, well, what happened to the Christians? He said, well, Christianity is a religion. Judaism and Islam, uh, they're a culture. And I will tell you, Tim, that opened a whole new world for me to consider the Church of Jesus Christ and consider the Church as a social cultural institution. And Christianity is more than a religion, but a, a culture, an integrated system of beliefs, traditions, customs, ideas, values, you know, uh, and technologies that represent a specific belief and group of people. And I spent the next five years restudying Scripture uh, and the history of Christianity and its impact on culture. And from 1990, I'm sorry, 1989, where we were at now 625 members, I began to teach these things, and the church grew from 625 to 11,000 members by 1999. Wow. And, you know, that wow. explosive growth demanded uh, change of venue, so we actually were able to purchase some property and build the now Christian Cultural Center. And it was in 2000 that we changed our name from Christian Life Center to Christian Cultural Center to really engage, uh, you know, in, in society. Now, you know, Christians have different notions as to the relationship of Christ, the Church, and the believer to society. Right. But we believe very simply that we have the responsibility to embrace the good, reject the bad, and change what we can. And that meant building relationships with industries and um, politicians, selected officials, and community leaders. And um, it, that laid the groundwork for the level of influence that we have today and what we're able to do today. So here we are with 3,000 members, three campuses, and growing. And uh, we just launched, came out in the New York Times, a $1.2 billion affordable housing development project. Yeah, this is something I wanted to ask you about. If you're just tuning in, it's uh, Pastor A.R. Bernard. He's the pastor of the Christian Cultural Center in Brooklyn. How, how many thousand is it now? Because your phone fuzzed out briefly on that first number, the thousand. Yeah, we're 43,000. 43, wow. Okay, so God, <laughs> it keeps growing. But, but that's all the campuses combined. <laughs> yes. So, it's, But speak to that that, that project, because uh, it's, you know, I've, I've read about that some online, and uh, it, it really seems yeah. to speak to what you just said. Yeah, the article came, the first article came out in the Christian Post. Um, I had announced it at a meeting of pastors and leaders in Washington at the Museum of the Bible, talking about, you know, impacting the culture. And then the New York Times broke with a full story on it. But, um, you know, we were blessed 
to purchase some land and in New York City, that's a big deal. Yeah. It was 10 and a half acres, and we purchased it for $6 million. We developed half of it um, for our church facility and then used the rest for a parking lot, anticipating one day developing it. And uh, we found a great development partner that understood our philosophy of uh, what it is to build community and began creating a model that we're now looking to implement. We're very excited about it. And yeah. It is a partnership between, you know, uh, our development corporation and this development uh, company that we're working with. And it's 2,100 units of uh, mixed uh, income housing with uh, 20 to 30 percent of it are permanently affordable and um, commercial real estate uh, as well as retail and an educational building and a performing arts center. And it's based upon creating a livable, walkable community within the context of uh, the urban environment. So we're very excited about it. And that the timeline for that still, it's, uh, you know, it sounds like a huge yeah, project. We're, yeah, we're looking at shovels in the ground in 2020, and it's going to take seven to ten years. It's going to be built in phases. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's a process, but uh, it's something that we're very excited about and a win-win situation for everyone, all of the stakeholders in the community. And for us, it's sustainable and it's impacting the quality of life. And New York City is going through an economic gentrification that you wouldn't believe. And we have middle class. We're talking about police officers uh, firemen, uh, civil service workers, teachers who are middle class but in need of affordable housing. And we're looking to address that those gentrification issues by this project. And it's a project that we want to be a model that can be replicated in communities across the country. We have one short break to take, and then we'll wrap up our conversation. We could go for a lot of times. Hopefully we can have you back again sometime. I know you're super busy, so we'll take what we can get for this little bit of time here. Uh, pastor A.R. Bernard, who's the pastor of Christian Cultural Center in Brooklyn, joining us. We'll come back in just a couple of minutes here and uh, finish our conversation on the Tim DeMoss Show today on AM560 WFIL and WFIL.com. Have a guest you'd like to hear on the Tim DeMoss Show on AM560 WFIL? Email Timmy D at WFIL.com. 454 AM 560 WFIL, WFIL.com. Bringing Pastor A.R. Bernard back on uh, the air here and just a few more minutes to go. We want to jam in as much as we can. Um, one of the things, just for fun, I met at the beginning, you were sharing part of your testimony that you were playing some hoops when you're a young, uh, young guy and, and trying to, yeah. And, and, uh, did you, so over the course of the, do you have, do you even have time to have a hobby like that to play hoops once in a while or follow a team on TV or whatever? Uh, well, I've always loved basketball and, you know, in the Knicks heyday <laughs> back in the sixties, yes. the late sixties, I'm really looking for another Nick team like that. But, uh, you know, it, it it was great, and it helped to keep me out of trouble off the streets. Um, and like I said, you know, uh, the reason I was able to join is because I was part of uh, a Methodist church that opened the door for me to join the team, you know. So um, that was the policy. You had to uh, join the team through a church because the church organized the team. Yeah. In fact, uh, our coach was... Um, 
one of the uh, Harlem Globetrotters, and um, he was our coach. And then, then decades later, I'm baptizing some new members in our church. Turns out to be his daughter who gave her life to Christ in our church, and here I am baptizing her. And to the, the, this day, she now it was one of our employees, and I'm her pastor. Imagine that. That's crazy. <laughs> one of many stories God weaves together. Uh, uh, yeah, indeed. Well, Lord willing, there's many more years of ministry to come. Uh, but I, I like to ask pastors who I have on periodically, especially those who have been serving the Lord for a long time, if you kind of step back and you said, you know what, if there's one or two things I'd want to, you know, sum things up with or encourage the body of Christ with, or even people who aren't believers who are just listening in and kind of considering things. Is is there a main thing on your heart as you go about your day and, and do ministry? There's lots of aspects, of course, but is there a main thing you would, you know, you've learned? You know, or... it's funny. Uh, well, one main thing that's difficult, it's been, I've been at this for 40 years, and there's so many main things. Yeah. But I will tell you, uh, if I were to look at it from a big picture perspective, one thing that I've learned, it's not what you do in life that makes you great. It's what you inspire others to do. And the most rewarding thing for me is when I hear the stories of people who were somehow inspired to make a difference in the world and to represent Christ boldly and unapologetically. When I hear those stories, those are the greatest rewards I have for the work that I've put in. Amen. Amen. How can people pray for you? We have a couple of minutes to wrap up here. You look back and think about what people could pray for you about, uh, family or whatever. Pray pray for health, for wisdom, for discernment, and success with this project. It's one thing to announce it. Now we got to make it happen. That's true. And we're looking forward to having you in for the Pastor's Breakfast on April 26th. That's a Thursday, Pastor's Appreciation Breakfast. We'll have details on our site about that for people uh, to be able to to come and attend. ARBernard.com at the intersection of faith and culture right there on the that statement you made. I want to chat with you another day to dig deeper into that because the program we do here, we're aiming for something like that. Not every guest we have on is a believer necessarily, but we're trying to build some bridges with people in the community. And uh, so it'd be good to chat with you sometime about yeah, you know what you found in, along those lines over the years too. That would be excellent. Thank you for what you do on radio and the lives that you connect with and help to transform. Our privilege. God bless you. Have a great rest of your day. God bless him. Thanks so much. That's A.R. Bernard, pastor of the Christian Cultural Center in Brooklyn. Uh, his program airs each weekday from 3 to 3.30 right here on WFIL. And again, he'll be in town, Lord willing, on the 26th of April. It's a Thursday. That's when we have our pastor's appreciation breakfast. Look to WFIL.com for more information on that as we get a little bit closer. We're going to, uh, uh, one more quick note. We're speaking of our website. Our banner with Preborn is there. If you want to pick up a sponsorship of a free ultrasound for a pregnant woman or girl, we'd love for you to join hands with us on that. Again, WFIL.com. Click the Preborn banner or 833-850-BABY is the number you can call. Jim Max and Max 413 Ministries. Please in prayer next. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. Feel free to tune in to the full show each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.